Thanks, uh, guys, for leading us uh, in worship. There's loads of folks away today, but it's great to have, as Paul said earlier, visitors. It's great to see you folks here again. Great to have you back with us. I uh, just want to say a big thank you to the, those of you who noticed my shirt this morning. A few comments on my lovely new shirt. It's not new. I bought this shirt uh, in 1997, okay? <laughs> Genuinely. Year after Claire and I were married. It's a very strange evening. Some of you will remember John Clark. Claire and I took John Clark to watch with Heidi, who's not here. We went with Heidi and John Clark to watch the film Titanic. And if you've seen the film Titanic, you could see why that might have been a bit of a strange evening at various points in the evening. But before we went to see that, I bought the shirt in the Metro Center in a shop which no longer exists. That tells you how old it is and how old I am. But it just about fits and there we go. Anyway, so thank you for noticing my shirt. That is very old. A couple of times a year, I try to take myself off for a day, and usually up into Coquitdale, up in the north, very north of Northumberland, and I spend the day uh, by the river with my Bible, a notebook, and sometimes perhaps a devotional, a sort of devotional reading as well, which might kind of help me uh, through the day. And if it's in the winter, then I rent a cottage for the day in a little village called Heppel, and I sit there by the fire in the cottage instead of by the river in Coquitdale. And I just try to get away, the whole aim of it is just to get away from all the sort of usual distractions for just a few hours, try and spend a few hours alone with God and read and pray and meet with God and, and, and God willing, hear from God as I interact with him. And, and my aim is to try and do that four times a year. That, that's my aim. Reality is it's usually maybe once a year, maybe sometimes twice a year, you know, diaries just happen and, and so on. But sometimes I really hear and experience God speaking to me and really sense I've interacted with him in a, in a real kind of clear way. Other times, maybe not so much, but they're always valuable days and they're always days that I really um, benefit from and I'm really glad I've done. Because getting alone with God getting time alone with God is really is just so important for each one of us to try and get away from the distractions of everyday life just all the kind of stuff that, that that's going on around us and it's so important and I find it really 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 encouraging as I read through the Bible to see that great men of God like Moses and others as well but they found the need to do this as well and they did it a lot more than than I do as we read and look at our, our Bible passage today, which is Exodus 33, verses 7 to 11, we're going to see the value that Moses placed on spending time alone with God, on getting alone with God and spending time with him. We're going to see that everybody else valued the fact that Moses did that, and we're going to see that Moses was a blessing. The fact that he spent time alone with God was a blessing to everybody else as well. And the same is true for us. When we spend time alone with God, others will be blessed as we do that. Over the last few weeks, we've been working our way through uh, the book of Exodus. We've been following the account of how the uh, nation of Israel, God's chosen people, came into being. And we've seen how God rescued them from slavery in Egypt and uh, took them out through the Red Sea and then miraculously fed them every day with manna, this bread-like substance that came down from heaven. And then we've seen how God led them to the south, into what is now modern-day Saudi Arabia, and uh, to this to the foot of this great mountain, Mount Sinai, about 8,000 feet up. Moses then climbed up that mountain several times, and God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, the, the law of Moses, which was this kind of package of rules and regulations that God gave the people of Israel to live by as part of this covenant relationship that they now had with God. And God then instructed Moses to build the tabernacle, which was basically a portable temple. 
where the people were to camp around and uh, have God right at the center and were there to worship him and to offer sacrifices to him. And last week we saw, as Stuart was speaking to us, how Moses, while he was up on the mountain and he was receiving all this from God, it's amazing sort of revelations from God, down below in the camp, the people had rejected God, had turned their back on God and began to worship this bizarre golden calf, this, this idol that they'd created. And instead of following through on the commitment that they made to be God's covenant people, they turned away from God and uh, worshipped this, this idol, bizarrely. But we've looked... Uh, in the last few weeks at the instructions for building the tabernacle we looked at that in quite some detail and those of you who were here we had all the kind of things marked out on the floor apparently i caused some confusion not unusual but uh, we were also doing that sunday the the presentation on the fire exits and i think some people wondered why there were squares of high-vis tape and what that was all about until it became clear it was the tabernacle in the meantime before the tabernacle was actually built, there was probably some months, perhaps much longer than that, elapsed from Moses receiving the instructions before then everything was put together and everything was built and the tabernacle was finally there uh, in front of them. This is a, a life-size model, a complete uh, accurate representation of what it would look like. And in the meantime, Moses used to go outside of the, the massive camp of the people of Israel, and he used to go and worship and meet with God and pray and, and pray for the people and, and seek direction in what he called the tent of meeting. Now, confusingly, the tabernacle is also called the tent of meeting, but it's not the same thing, okay? So sometimes when you're reading through, it refers to the tabernacle as the tent of meeting. That was afterwards, but initially the tent of meeting was just a small little tent that Moses used before the tabernacle was built, where he would go and get alone with God and spend time uh, meeting with God. So we're going to read that. Uh, there's just a short few verses, Exodus 33. If you've got a Bible handy, if you want to turn, uh, we're going to read from verses 7 to 11. Uh, so Exodus 33 and verse 7. And if you haven't got a Bible or if you just want to listen, that's fine. Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. On your, on your chair, there should be an outline, um, and it's got all the verses that we're looking at today. And if you want to fill, there's a few things to fill in. If you find that helpful, there's pens around, uh, or you can, just, you can just ignore them if you want. We are going to refer later to the other side of the outline, because there's some stuff we're going to look at there. So just bear that in mind. Before we look at this passage in detail, I think it would just be really helpful to kind of set a bit of context and setting for what's actually happened here with regards to the, the camp of the people of Israel. Back in Exodus 12, verse 37, we read this, that the Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, so that's from Egypt and, and out of there, and there, he says there were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. 600,000 men besides women and children. So if there were 600,000 men, then we can estimate the total number of people in this camp of the people of Israel, this whole nation, as being at least two and a half million and probably more like three and a half million. Okay, 600,000 men, uh, women, children, and so on. 
if each man had a wife, uh, if each family had four children, and some would have had many more, you arrive at a total of about three and a half million people. And to give some comparisons, the population of Newcastle, North Tyneside, South Tyneside and Gateshead combined is just under 1.4 million. Okay, so the number of people camped at the foot of Mount Sinai was at least double the size of the population of Tyneside, at least double, probably more than that. And then when you read further on in the book of Numbers, you find that God then gave instructions for where each tribe, there were 12 tribes, had to be camped, and they all had to be in a certain place with a tabernacle at the center. Okay, so this was a colossal scale. It wasn't just a few hundred people following Moses around the desert. Some of the pictures you might see, or particularly children's Bibles, you know, you kind of get the idea there's 20 or 30 folks kind of wandering with Moses. That is not how this was. We're looking at two and a half, maybe even three and a half million people. And if each family was allocated, the Bible doesn't tell us that this was the case, but there'd have to be some minimum kind of space required. If, if each family was uh, allocated 50 feet by 50 feet, plus an equal area for the livestock that they brought with them, the total space needed would be 3 billion square feet or 10 and a half miles square. That's the size of the camp of the people of Israel. Okay, so this is between two and a half and three and a half million people camped in an area about the size of Manhattan in New York. Okay, here's a picture of what seven square miles looks like in New York. That's Manhattan. That's seven square miles. So obviously 10 square miles is bigger. So you can kind of, ex, you know, expand out and you can imagine something of the kind of scale of what we're talking about. So it must have been incredibly noisy, incredibly smelly and just kind of crazy in the middle of two to three million people in, a, in an area about the size of this or actually bigger than this. And so until at least the time of the tabernacle was built, Moses used to take himself off for understandable reasons uh, just to get outside of this massive, noisy, smelly camp, because it must have been all the animals, all the people, all that noise. been like as, as noisy and smelly and as packed as New York City would be. That's the kind of feeling that this would have. So Moses would take himself off to get alone with God, to spend time with God. And he wasn't completely alone. He would go with Joshua, his assistant. Moses was over 80 at this point so he needed Moses to help carry the various bits and pieces that he had and he probably had some other guys as well to take the tent and, and help him but nevertheless this was about Moses getting away from it all and getting alone with God going outside of the camp to spend time alone with God verse 7 tells us this now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away calling it the tent of meeting I can imagine Joshua and Moses and, and probably a few other guys leaving behind all the noise and all the smells of the massive camp behind and just kind of breathing a sigh of relief. Oh, you know, no more noise, no more smell, just, just us, just me and God. It was a kind of time to disconnect from that the kind of everyday craziness of life there in the camp and the demands of life and then to try deliberately to connect with God. Moses clearly placed a huge emphasis on getting alone with God. Now, of course, Moses had a unique role. He was a unique individual. He had a unique responsibility. None of us are leading a nation of two to three million people. You know, I get all that. And, and whilst we might not be Moses and we don't have his particular sort of unique role in history, nevertheless, we all do still need to spend time alone with God. We need this just as much as Moses needed it. Doesn't matter who we are, doesn't matter what role our, uh, or, or, or what we do in life, we need to make spending time alone with God a priority. Write that on your outline. We need to make spending time alone with God a priority. 
This has to be a priority for us. We all need uh, to make spending time alone with God a priority in our lives. This isn't just for, for kind of leaders like Moses. It's not just for church elders or church leaders. And it shouldn't be something that we just kind of see as an optional extra or, you know, when I get really committed to Jesus, maybe I'll start doing this. Maybe I'll start, you know, having a, a, a daily time with God. This isn't an optional extra. And, and, and for Moses, this wasn't kind of two or three times a year thing. This was something he did regularly, probably every day. It doesn't specifically say every day, but that's the kind of impression we get. For Moses, getting alone with God, going off into this tent, was a really clear priority for him. Verse 8 says this, And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And everybody knew that it was a priority for Moses. They watched him leave the camp, and they would watch him go into his tent. Spending time alone with God was a huge priority for Moses in his life. And if we've put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, then it needs to be a priority for us as well. We don't have to go and set up a tent somewhere. Okay, You don't worry, you don't have to buy a tent. That's not part of the deal. Thank goodness for that. If you want to use a tent, that's fine. But you don't have to use a tent. It's just about getting alone with God somewhere. And that can be anywhere just about finding somewhere and finding a time to go and be alone with God in our day. It's about carving time out each day and setting, side, setting time aside to get alone with God, because when we do that, we will really notice the difference in our own life. And others, just as they notice with Moses, others will notice the difference in our lives too. When we don't do it, we will quickly notice the difference and we'll quickly feel distant from God. We will set the sense that kind of drift uh, it might not be that we're doing anything really bad, but we just take our eyes off Jesus. We stop spending time with God and little by little we drift away and we find ourselves kind of over here somewhere when we need to be back over here. For we know it, our hearts can often have gone cold and, uh, and often hard even towards God. Even Jesus, who was God come as a human being, felt the need to prioritize spending time alone with God. And okay, there's much mystery in, in, in the Father and the Son, and we've just been singing about the, the Trinity. There's much mystery in the Trinity. But Jesus, the Son of God, felt the need to prioritize spending time with his Father. In Luke 6, we read these words. Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Jesus spent the night praying. Moses went to the tent in the daytime. It doesn't matter when we do it. The important thing is that it needs to be a priority for us. Spending time alone with God needs to be, has to be a priority for us. And so that might mean getting up earlier, or it might mean coming home from work earlier. It might mean switching the TV off earlier in the evening or putting our phone away or the, our device or going to bed earlier so we can get up earlier in order to make time to be alone with God. We're going to do this and we absolutely should and need to then it's important that like Moses that we find somewhere that we can be alone with God we need to find a place that we can do this verse 7 says this now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away calling it the tent of meeting spending time alone with God won't happen by accident and we can pray to God wherever we are whenever we want to that, that, that that's absolutely true but that kind of disciplined focus I'm going to spend I'm going to deliberately choose to get quality time alone with God that doesn't happen by accident it will only happen if we make it a priority and if we intentionally find a place to do this and if we're disciplined 
So write this down. We need to find a place and we need to be disciplined. Discipline is right at the center of this. We need to, to carve that time out. We need to find a place and we need to be disciplined. We, we converted our garage about, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 years ago, something like that. And, and that's my place. It's just another living room for us. That's not all we use it for. It's not just for me to go and pray. It has other uses. And if you stay in our house, then you might have stayed in, the, uh, in, in that room. But then that's my place every day first thing in the morning in that room and spend time alone with God. And then a few times a year, if I can, to go up to Cokerdale or rent a cottage if it's the winter. Now, not everyone can do that. Not everybody's life in that style enables them to do that. I'm, I'm privileged to be able to do that. But we can all find somewhere that we can be alone with God. We have all got somewhere that we can be alone with God, even if it's just a case of going in the bathroom and locking the door to give us, a, a, you know, for five or 10 minutes, a little time alone without the kids distracting us or whatever, or going and sitting in our car in our lunch break or whatever that might look like. We need to find that place. And, and again, we see Jesus doing exactly the same thing in Luke 5. We read this, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We need to make this a priority. We need to find a lonely place. And for you, the loneliest place might be the bathroom with the door locked because it's the only place where you get a bit of sanity. But it's finding that equivalent. We can't all go up a mountain and spend the night praying. But we need to find a place and we need to be disciplined and we need to make it a priority. Nobody ever achieved anything of value in life for God without self-discipline. Self-discipline is right at the core of what it means to follow Jesus. That's the word discipline is disciple. And if we're going to follow Jesus day by day, then we need to be disciplined in the way that we run and organize our lives so that we can make time and find that place uh, for us to be alone with God. It's about doing the equivalent of going outside the camp. For Moses, he had to get organized. It didn't just happen. He had to get organized, gather his stuff, get the tent, go out and pitch his tent outside the camp. And leaving the noise and the distractions behind so that like Moses, we can be alone with God, that we can pray, we can read our Bible, we call, we call a quiet time, uh, a day, it might be, you know, in our day, it might be half an hour, might be five minutes, whatever we can manage, but just grabbing some, some deliberate, intentional time to be alone with God. Church leaders especially absolutely need to do this, but it's not just leaders, it, it's every single one of us. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus. It's so important that we make this a priority that we find a place and that we're disciplined. At the heart of what it means to be a Christian believer it is the whole concept of having a relationship with God, a personal, direct relationship with God. We don't need to come via somebody else. We've got instant access now right into the throne room of God because of Jesus. The Christian faith is about a relationship. It's not a religion. Okay, it's not religion. It's not about doing stuff. It's about a relationship, an exciting relationship with God. It's the wonderful, the amazing good news that we can be friends with God. We were by nature enemies of God, the Bible says, because of our sin. But because when we trust in Jesus, he takes our sins away and he makes us right with God. And that enables us to become God's children and even his friends. Isn't that amazing? That God calls us his friends. It's phenomenal. I am a friend of God. Jesus says, you, I've come that you might be my friends. Verse 11 tells us that when Moses went into the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Now, we don't actually know what that looked like or what Moses actually experienced. This is Moses writing this down, but he doesn't elaborate on what that actually looked like for him. 
But what we do know is that Moses had a real passion and a real hunger to meet with God like this. This was important for Moses, to be in God's presence, to hear God speak, to experience friendship with God. This was really important to Moses, and he valued it, and he made it a priority. I wonder if you have a, a hunger and a passion for God this morning. Do you have a hunger? Do you have a passion for God? Are you hungry for God's presence when you come to church on a Sunday? Not just to do all the other things that we do, but actually to meet with the risen Lord Jesus, to, to, have, to have a hunger for his presence. Are you hungry for God's presence in your own quiet time with God, in your own tent of meeting, where, wherever that might be, and whatever that looks like for you? Sometimes we go through periods in life, don't we, where despite our best efforts, our quiet times are exactly that, pretty quiet. And if I'm, I might, might be the only person that that's true for, but uh, I've certainly experienced times like that where it, it's hard going and you're tired. And particularly when you've got young kids and, you know, or you haven't slept well or, or for work pressures or whatever. And, and then it seems like even when you are feeling good, sometimes it just seems that we're a bit, you know, God's a bit distant and it's hard going sometimes. And that can happen for a whole variety of reasons. But when it does, the important thing is to persevere and to keep going and to stay disciplined. And if you're in one of those seasons at the moment, then can I encourage you to do just that, to keep going, to persist, to persevere, to endure? Because in my experience, it will just be a season. There are seasons that we go through like that, which can be for all sorts of different reasons. But at some point, again, you will begin to experience the, the kind of joy, the reality of God's presence as you meet with him through prayer and reading the Bible and in worship. Paul writes these words in Ephesians 1. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So when we have our quiet time, our daily time alone with God, this isn't about us increasing our knowledge of God or our knowledge about God through Bible study. Of course, Bible study is really important, and it's really important that we know the Bible better and, and know more about God so that we can defend the Bible and, and, and all that kind of stuff and teach others. But this is about getting to know God better in a deeply personal and intimate way. This is about spending time with Jesus in prayer and reading the Bible and worship. There's, there's a huge difference between studying the Bible to gain knowledge, which we should absolutely do, but there's a big difference between studying the Bible to gain knowledge and reading the Bible in a kind of devotional way to meet with God, to develop our relationship with God. They're two different things. Now, they may overlap. And when you're doing one, the other may be happening to some degree. But there is a difference between studying to gain knowledge and actually reading the Bible to meet with the living God. They're two separate things. and We mustn't confuse the two. If you want to study the Bible to gain knowledge, that's great. But don't do that in your daily quiet time. When we have our daily quiet time, when we go into our very own tent of meeting, it's not meant to be about gaining knowledge. It's meant to be about meeting with God. Some people get really stressed out trying to follow Bible reading plans. You know, I've got 10 chapters a day I've got to work through and, and tick off and all the rest of it. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not really the heart. That's kind of religion. It's not relationship. Can I encourage you, you know, just if, if you're doing that, that's fine. If you want to read through the Bible and yeah, that's great. But that's not a daily devotional time with God. It's just ticking a box or it can be. So I really encourage you, instead of reading, trying to read like 10 chapters or something each day, if, if you're doing that, that's separate. That's different. Instead, just take a few verses, read through a book of the Bible, just take a few verses 
each day and, and meditate on them and think about them deeply. And otherwise, you can't possibly do that if you're reading five or, or 10 chapters a day. And, and meditate on those verses, maybe just one verse each day or, or two verses and read through them properly and pray, pray those verses, pray the Bible and, and meet with God and his word. To help you do that, um, I've put on the back of your outline, uh, put a series of questions um, that can just help sometimes tease out when we're reading Bible passages. Sometimes it's really obvious, isn't it, what the, what the verses are saying. It's really obvious because of the style of the literature that we're reading. But other times we read bits of the Bible and it's not quite as obvious really where, what I meant to take from this. And this is just a really helpful list of questions to ask of any Bible passage that we read. Um, just as the shape concept that we looked at a few weeks ago is not, it's not something I came up with, that's Rick Warren. This is also from Rick Warren's Bible study methods, okay? And I, there's a book, he's gotten that, I'd encourage you to read it. But this is just a really useful tool that I found, which I've tried to pass on to others that, that, that he gave in that book. So to ask these nine questions, so when I'm reading this verse or these few verses, not this, you know, 10, 10 chapters, but just this verse or two verses or whatever, does the passage highlight a sin that I need to confess? Is it, is it kind of bringing something to mind? Is it highlighting a promise that I can claim and, pr and pray into? Is it highlighting an attitude that I need to change and repent of and, and, and pray about? Is it highlighting a command that I should be keeping? Is it highlighting an example that I can follow like Moses here? Is it highlighting a, a prayer that I can pray and make for my own and make my own prayer? Is it highlighting an error that I need to avoid, it, that somebody else perhaps has made in, in the Bible has, has recorded it for us. Is there a truth there that I need to believe and, and pray into and make my own? Or, or perhaps there's something in the passage that reminds us of things that we need to thank God for. And, and they're just really kind of nine simple questions which just tease out, uh, hopefully just kind of helping us sometimes if we look at a Bible passage and we're not really sure and we don't really kind of see what God's saying, they're just a little tool, just a little tool which can help us in that. And so I just encourage you to take that and maybe stick, you know, keep it in your Bible. Um, and if you find that useful to do that, you might also find it useful to maybe to, uh, uh, to begin the time that you have with a Christian song when you start just to help you focus on God. And there's loads of Bible reading notes that you can get. If you haven't got any, then let me know. And I can suggest some for you. I've got various kind of examples. Uh, different people find different things helpful. There's online programs that you can get. Uh, there's online resources. One of those is the Bible Project. I know some of you are uh, using that. And there's various other kind of Bible reading programs that you can get. But don't get hung up on the Bible reading program for the sake of the Bible reading program. Get hung up on a relationship with Jesus. It's, it's a tool. You know, the Bible is there as a, as a means of us encountering God. It's his word, as opposed to just ticking the box to say, yeah, I've, I've read all those things. Because we can read chapters and really at the end of it, I have no idea what I've read. And, you know, so um, there's, there's various things that we can look at. And, of course, we're so blessed to have Stuart writing daily devotional thoughts for us here at Regent. If you're not on that mailing list, which I think probably you all are, then let me know and we'll, we can add you to that. Um, Stuart just puts a, a devotional thought out each day, uh, seven days, kind of unpacking what we've looked at on a Sunday and, and just helping uh, us to apply those. And you might want to make that your daily reading. You might want to make that your, your, your kind of focus or you might want to uh, do it in addition to that, maybe just in, you know, on your phone over your lunch break or you know, last thing at night, first thing in the morning. And it's fantastic to have those. And thank you, Stuart, for, let me just, we just acknowledge that and just. 
takes a lot of work to do that. And thank you for sure, uh, for doing that. And I know lots of people find that helpful and a blessing. But the whole point is that it's not meant to be a Bible study. We should study our Bibles, but that's a kind of different thing. What we're talking about here is seeking to meet with God in a real living personal way, in that deep devotional way as we read the Bible, as we pray, as we worship God on our own. Verse 9 tells us that as Moses went into the tent, <clears throat> the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. The pillar of cloud is symbolic that God's presence is there. And as the people watched Moses go into his tent, they saw the visible evidence that he was meeting with God as that pillar of cloud descended and it symbolized God's presence. Now, we're not Moses, okay? And God is unlikely to send a pillar of cloud when we have our quiet time. If you've, got, if you've got kind of a pillar of smoke coming out of you, there's probably something else that's wrong. You need to switch something off or something like that. But we shouldn't rule this kind of thing out. We, we, we may meet with God and experience the, the power of the Holy Spirit in all kinds of miraculous and unusual ways. So we should never rule things out that are, not, that are kind of a bit outside of our normal experience. But nevertheless, it is probably unlikely that the Holy Spirit or that, that God is going to come and manifest in a pillar of cloud outside of our bedroom or our bathroom or wherever it is we have our quiet time alone with God. But what should be the case, though, is that those around us can tell what we're doing, that they know that that's what we do, and that they can tell, more importantly, I guess, that, that we've been with Jesus. When we make spending time alone with God a priority, when we find a place, when we're disciplined and have a quiet time each day, then other people will begin to see the difference in us. We see that in, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, where Peter and John have, have healed a lame man and then they're preaching about Jesus and then they get arrested and, and so on. And uh, Acts 4, uh, 4 verse 13, it's talking about the uh, religious leaders of the day who were opposing Peter and John. And it says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had what? Been with Jesus. When we've been with Jesus those around us will be able to tell. And conversely, when we've not been with Jesus, other people will begin to tell that as well. I wonder if people would say that you've been alone with God. Would people who interact with me say that about me? Because when we have been alone with God, then those around us will notice the difference in a positive way. Verse 10 tells us that whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. As the people saw the evidence that Moses was meeting alone with God because they saw the, the pillar of cloud there on the tent, they worshipped God. How will people know that we've been alone with God? Probably not through a pillar of cloud, but certainly through our behavior, our attitudes, our actions, the things that we talk about, the things that we say. Jesus said these words, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. Same outcome, isn't it? it it's certainly not a given that non-Christians will become worshippers of God when they see that uh, the light of Jesus shining from us because we've been spending time alone with God. That's, that's not a given, but that's what we want, isn't it? As people, as we spend time alone with God, we become more and more like Jesus. What we want is that others will notice that, and they will, and that others then in turn become worshippers of God. Our prayer should be that just like the Israelites, those around us will become worshippers of God. Time alone with God changes and transforms us, 
so that we are more and more like Jesus. And as people then interact with us, this in turn then will give us an opportunity to share more about Jesus with them. Moses understood the importance of spending time alone with God. And so he made it a priority. He was disciplined and he found a place to pitch his tent. What about us? What about you this morning? Is, is spending time alone with God a priority for you? Not, not just a kind of an optional add-on or if you don't run out, if you don't run out of time, but it, is this your kind of main priority for the day? Do you have a place? If you don't have a place, you need to get somewhere that's your place. Are you disciplined? Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for his presence to encounter him, to meet with him? Do you want to develop not a religion, but that amazing relationship with God that we can have through Jesus to be a friend of God? You know, it may be this morning that you don't have a friendship with God, that you've never trusted in Jesus and therefore you're still separated from God because of your sin. If that's you this morning, then you too can have those sins dealt with. You too can have that sin removed so that you can become a friend of God. You can come close and walk in that amazing relationship with God through Jesus. And if that's something you'd like to know more about, then do please come and chat with me afterwards. We've got a great uh, course called Christianity Explored, which is uh, just about finding more about the Christian faith. If that's something you'd like to do, then come and, uh, come and speak with me afterwards. Maybe this morning... You are a believer in Jesus, but you know that this hasn't been a priority for you and, and you've kind of drifted away and stuff has happened and stuff has got in your life. And, you know, God is a God of grace. And it's just about coming back to the foot of the cross and saying, I'm sorry, I'm here again. And I want to follow you, Lord Jesus. And part of following the Lord Jesus is making time alone with God a priority, finding a place and being disciplined. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing, draw me close to you, never let me go. But before we do that, let's just take some time. Let's just bow our heads. Let's just take a bit of time to maybe to reflect on what we've said this morning. So let's just bow our heads. Let's just close our eyes. Father, thank you that because of the Lord Jesus, we can have a, we can be your friends. We can have this amazing intimate relationship with you, that we can approach your throne of grace without fear, without condemnation. <clears throat> no matter how badly we've messed up in life, we know that our sins are gone if we've trusted in you and that we, that you call us your friends. Well, that blows us away. It humbles us. We want to worship you. We, we praise you for that fact. But Lord, we know that friends spend time together. And I pray this morning that you'd help each of us, Lord, and I, myself included, to prioritize, Lord, being alone, being uh, with you, being your friend, developing that amazing relationship that we have with you. Help us to be those who make this a priority, who are disciplined, who have that place, who build that relationship with you day by day. And Lord, for anybody this morning that's, kind of, the, the, yeah, far from you. Lord, I just pray that in this moment you would draw them close to you, restore the, the joy 
of their salvation, of that wonderful relationship. 